0: signed up to serve in January. So um, please make that a a note of that. And as you walk by, even if you're already signed up, if you'd make that a matter of prayer, that those might be filled uh, ably and in a timely fashion. So make a note of that. The other thing is in the lobby, I believe it's going to be near the missionary map, but I'm not sure. There is a card out there to be signed for Melissa Walker. Uh, Melissa, uh, if you've been tracking with her, has been in the hospital um, in, in some life-and-death surgery-type situations uh, related to her in, intestines and some other matters. Uh, she has moved to Texas with her family. There, it, things got worse uh, there after she moved there a week or so ago. Things are now getting better. Her recent, she's had recent surgeries. Those have gone really, really well. Uh, there's another one to come, I believe, this week. Um, please keep Melissa in your prayers. Uh, it is still touch and go for her, and there is a card out there. If you know her or if you just want to wish her well, uh, let her know that you've prayed for her today, you can sign that card on your way out. I believe Ann Bowman will be there uh, directing traffic around that. Um, so please do make, make a note of that. Um, if you would, let's, let's pray together. We'll open up the Scriptures. Father, we um, we are very distracted people this season, busy with things that matter to us and may or may not matter that much to you. And now we get a chance to kind of recenter and refocus on what we do know matters supremely to you. And so I pray that your Spirit would use the word now to reorder our lives that we might worship You rightly this Advent season. So we ask Your help with that now by Your Spirit through the Word in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to pick up our celebration of the birth of Christ where we left off last week in Luke chapter 1. You can open your Bibles there. We're, We're kind of in the middle of an Advent sandwich of sorts. I did the beginning of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 1 last week. We're going to get in the middle of Luke chapter 1 this week. Uh, Last week we saw um, the story of Zechariah who had an angelic visit where the angel pronounced that he and his aging wife Elizabeth were to bear a son who was to be named John. Zechariah could not believe that this could happen. And so, in part as a discipline, in part as a sign, he was rendered by the angel unable to speak for nine months until the child was born and named. Now, in the second part of the story we covered last, last week, that birth happened and the child was born, was named John, which loosened Zechariah's tongue, and he, he burst forth in prophetic praise in song, um, about his son that closed like this you my child will be called the prophet of the most high for for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god whereby the the sunrise or the rising sun shall visit us from on high and those prophecies are about his son john whom we know to be john the baptist So what we want to do today is step into the middle of this Advent sandwich, back in the middle of that passage, before the prophecy about John the Baptist's birth was fulfilled. Elizabeth is still pregnant. When we step back in today, Zechariah still unable to speak. And Elizabeth says, after these days, or see, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying... Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. And in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Let me stop right there and say the sixth month there is the sixth month of Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. That's where we jump back into the story. The main character in this section of the story is a young girl named Mary. She is um, a virgin, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. She lives in a town called Nazareth. It's a little town. Some some historians estimate that this little town had less than 500 people in it. And it is in the middle of nowhere. Think of it this way. Nazareth was to Jerusalem what Franklinton is to D.C. Okay? Little town. Middle of nowhere. This young girl... Some say she could be as young as 12, middle school, okay? Most put her between 12 and 16, probably. She's engaged to a carpenter in a small town in the middle of nowhere, and the angel of Gabriel comes to announce the birth of the Messiah, the Christ, the great King. And so this whole setting shouts to us, unlikely 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 okay this is the this is the last place last person you would pick this drama to play out it but it also shouts to us humility 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 okay. christ the savior of the world comes humble okay this is the most modest Of settings. Verse 28 says, And he came to her, the angel did, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, again, we are not talking about some cute little Valentine's Day cherub here. We're talking about, as I mentioned last week, the Jake angel. Okay? which is like an archangel, only more intimidating. Okay. Um, after 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament, that silent now is breaking, and it does so this time with a visit to a middle schooler living in the equivalent of Franklinton. This is so unlikely. It is so humble. And it is an unthinkable visit. And Mary is greatly troubled by it, and understandably so. It's the last thing she would expect. Um, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the angel comes to Mary, calms her fears, and explains his mission. She is going to conceive, and he says, in her womb. Where else, you know? But... The idea seems to be that the angel is driving, that this is a physical reality. This is not some spiritual, ethereal idea. This is a physical reality. She is going to bear a son. And Gabriel's mission this time, like like in last week's account, is to convey a predictive prophecy about a son who is not even yet conceived. He is prophesying. He is, he is promising that a child who is not yet conceived will be born. He will be a son, and his name shall be Jesus, which is tied up with the idea that God saves. Matthew tells us that it has to do with God saving his people from their sins. Beyond that, the angel predicts that this child's going to be great, just like he predicted Zechariah's child. Would be great. But this child's greatness goes beyond Zechariah's child. Because this boy, yet to be born, yet to be conceived, is going to be a king. He's going to be the king over Israel, not just any old king, but his kingdom will never end, the angel says. And on top of that, he'll be called the Son of the Most High, a reference to God, the very Son of God. But it's not the grandeur of the predictions about her son that is most troubling to Mary. It's, it's that um, she has a son at all. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Okay. Mary is tripping over the fact, not that her son will be great, not that he's going to be an eternal king, not even that he's going to be the son of God, but that that there's going to be a son at all. Um, Mary is, after all, a middle schooler with no boyfriend. Okay? How is this going to happen, she says. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. God is giving, through the angel Gabriel, to Mary three things that she needs to help her believe. The first thing is simply an explanation of how this is going to happen. It's a mysterious explanation, but it's an explanation nonetheless. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Um, I asked one of our recent seminary graduates to explain to me what that means, how the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary that will result in the Son. He passed, okay? It's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma, okay? It's a miracle. It is a miracle. We call that miracle the virgin birth. And while many people have doubts about that, Mary did not. Mary knew that she was a virgin, prophesied to give birth. That's where her problem came up because she was a virgin. And the angel is clear. He has no confusion about this. She is a virgin, she is going to give birth. It's not a problem for the one who is the creator and sustainer of all life to do this. And it's by means of this miraculous virgin conception that the Son to be born is to be called holy, and that He is also to be called the Son of God. So Mary is given first an explanation of how this is going to happen, and then she's given a sign. It says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. So her, her relative Elizabeth, her, her aged relative, her old, old aunt, maybe as old as 80 years old, is now with child, and she's six months along. Now, at six months... You can verify a pregnancy. Okay? It's not, you don't need a level three ultrasound and CVS strips. You can tell if someone's pregnant at six months. Um, so in one sense, Elizabeth is pregnant for Mary. Just as John is to be born for Jesus. So she gets an explanation, she gets a sign, and she gets one more thing. She gets a declaration about the power of God. The angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. Um, Nothing will be impossible with God. And at this point, uh, you all have those kinds of friends who say, well, can God make a rock that's too heavy for him to lift it? Wouldn't that be impossible for God? And it's important to keep in mind that um, omnipotence, great power, is not God's only attribute. He's also wise, okay? So, that, this kind of absurdity is nonsense with when we talk about, about God because it's not His only attribute. The idea here is not so much that God can randomly do anything, though that's sure implied The idea here is that God's plan, His predictions, His promises cannot be thwarted. Uh, The NIV catches the idea when they translate that last verse this way, no word from God will ever fail. That's what the focus here is like. God keeps His promises. If God has promised us something, it will happen. God keeps promises like this one. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise. Promises like this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. God keeps His promises. No word from God will ever fail. Lewis Smedes wrote, um, somewhere people still make and keep promises. They choose not to quit when the going gets rough because they promised once to see it through. They stick to lost causes. They hold on to a love grown cold. They stay with people who have become pains in the neck. They still dare to make promises and care enough to keep the promises they make. He says, I want to say to you that if you have a ship, you will not desert. If you have people, you will not forsake. If you have causes, you will not abandon. Then you are like God. We should expect God to keep his promises. We shouldn't explain them away when they, when they do come true and say, well, it might have been a coincidence. There was a businessman. He's late for an important meeting. He can't find a parking space. As he frantically circles the block where his meeting is, the man gets so desperate he decides to pray. And looking up towards heaven, he says, Lord, take pity on me. If you find me a parking space, I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. Not only that, I'll give up drinking. And miraculously, a parking space appears. And the man looks up again and says, never mind, I found one. God keeps his promises. Expect him to keep his promises. Don't explain them away when they happen. Jesus also would say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, the wrath of God remains on him. That's a promise. Pastor Lee Eklov writes about visiting a friend of his named Larry Hildreth. He was a father and a husband from the church uh, that Lee was pastoring in Pennsylvania. Larry was in his thirties, but he was near death from cancer. He says, I, I was at his home to serve communion because he was too weak to come to church. He says, Larry was a deeply thoughtful man, and as he spoke that day, slow and deliberately, I realized I was hearing extraordinary things. I started scribbling them down on the margins of a bulletin in my Bible. He said. Larry says, even if I have a short time to live, God has given me a great hope. Sometimes life throws us tremendous curves, he says, but, but death has lost its sting. In his struggle with cancer, it was clear that Larry had learned a lot about weaknesses, he says. At the the point in my life when I'm the weakest, he said, I'm the strongest I've ever been. So we start talking about his funeral, which as it turned out would be exactly one month later. He told me, he says, I want lots of singing. He says, I remember how in church Larry would put his head back and sing with unabashed gusto. He said, the only thing I want people to think on that day is joy. And as he said that, he raised his hands to offer a slow, triumphal clap. When I pass into his kingdom, I envision this spectacular light, this spectacular feeling of being able to let go, he said. I felt a lot of grief for my children, my wife, my family, myself, but I have to get over that. And once you get past that, you know that God is there And there's that spirit of joyfulness. It's going to be a happy day for me. No grief for me. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's a promise. Cancer cannot take that from you. It's a promise. You should joyfully expect God to keep it on your behalf and on behalf of those you love who believe, this is what God does. He brings what we need to believe an explanation, a sign, a declaration about the power of God to keep His word. That's what he does for Mary. He does it for Zechariah. We saw that last week. He brings a promise, he brings a sign, he brings a rebuke. God brings for us just what we need to believe. Don't miss what God is doing around you. He is bringing to you, even in the circumstances of your life, what you need to believe. Maybe he's been at work in one of your family members' life or you've heard a testimony of a friend that God's been at work. Maybe it's through your suffering or through your loss. Maybe you've been stung by God a little bit because of your unbelief. God is at work in your life to bring to you what you need to believe. Now, one question that comes out of this, and you'll see, that you see the similarities, you listen to the stories back to back. Zechariah had trouble believing what God said. Mary had great trouble. It so says she was greatly troubled by what God said. Why didn't Mary get a rebuke like Zechariah did? Well, if you look closely, their questions are slightly different when they hear their stories. Zechariah asks, how can I know this will be? Mary asks, how can this be? The one it's possible to understand as being about um, possibility, while the other one is about logistics. One is about whether. One is about how. The other thing is that their setting is really quite different On the one hand, you've got with Mary, a middle school girl in a small town. On the other hand, you've got an 80-year-old veteran priest to whom much is given, much will be required. And so surely there's more room for Mary to struggle through this than for Zechariah. But the plainest thing is that Mary, simply by the angel Gabriel, is not indicted for unbelief, as Zechariah was. Hers does seem to be more of a question about how it will come to pass, not whether it will. Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Now, if Mary were a typical teenager from our day, she hears this story how would she respond? How would you expect a middle schooler, young teen to respond to such outrageous news? Maybe, maybe something like this. A princess? Shut up! And beg your pardon. Mary is anything but a typical middle schooler in her response. Listen to what she says. Mary says, this is what Mary responds. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, now that's how you respond to the words of God to the good news about Jesus particularly. It's a humility that's played out in full submission to His will. God, because you have chosen me to bear this message, to receive this message, I will do whatever you ask. I will do whatever you ask of me, period. This is always the right response to someone who's received the good news about Jesus. Full submission to whatever God asks of you. Would you say that marks you? Has the good news about Jesus that has come to you made you say to God, God, I'll do whatever you ask. I am so humbled that I got to receive this news that I will do whatever you ask. I'm so humbled that you have chosen me that I will do whatever you ask. What is God asking of you? Verse 39, in those days after the angel departed, Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And you can sense the eagerness of Mary to seek out this sign and be strengthened by it. She went with haste. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, at six months, Elizabeth's baby's pretty active. That's, that's normal, right? If you've, if you've got a six month old in your womb, they're pretty active at that, at that age. But what's extraordinary here is that Elizabeth understands that this was not normal movement. This was a leap for joy at the sound of a greeting from someone this child had never heard before, a voice this child had never heard before. And it functions like another sign that God is giving, this time to Elizabeth. It confirms to her what is going on here. And this one comes through God To Elizabeth by an unborn child God is active in the life of this unborn child and this is another one of those stories in Scripture that should give us great pause when we think about the life of the unborn God is active in the life of the unborn child and the spirit was really active during these Advent stories prompts Elizabeth to pronounce God's blessing on her young relative and on Mary's unborn child as well. And that's really the point here. Don't miss the point. This part of the story, it's not about Elizabeth or the miraculous unborn son that she is going to bear. Something Something greater than Elizabeth's miracle is happening. Elizabeth and her unborn child are both leaping and pointing at something greater. The one who would prepare the way for the Lord is leaping with joy when his mother enters his presence. But I love Elizabeth's response in verse 43 there. Elizabeth says... um, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She feels incredibly blessed to even meet Mary, the mother of her Lord. She is honored, humbled to play even a small part in the story of the birth of her Lord. Mary's humility is seen in her obedience. Elizabeth's humility is seen in being overwhelmed that she even gets to be a part that she's been chosen to be a part. This is the right response to to hearing the good news of Jesus. It's humility that's expressed in obedience and wonder that we get to have a part at all. And all the supporting players, Elizabeth, Zechariah, John, even Mary, they are all pointing to the one given to Mary. That's why they're there. It's His story. It's not their story. Their stories tell His story. They're just signposts, pointers along the way, and that's what we are, okay? And the best way we point to the Christ child is when we are humble, like Mary and Elizabeth, when we realize that it's not mainly about us. This Christmas, how does God want to use you to humbly point others to Christ? By your story, maybe. To talk about the difference Christ is making in your life, to tell the story of how He has rescued you. Is there someone at work, someone at school, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your family that you believe God wants you to point to Christ by your works, by your story? Well, at this point, Mary breaks out into a song, a prayer. That's very non middle schoolish. Okay? It's, it's very carefully composed. It's rooted in the Old Testament. There's more than a dozen references, allusions to the Old Testament here. And um, so, as a 12 year old, 15 year old girl, the Old Testament has shaped her such that when she prays, that's the language that she uses. And Mary says, Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary, this is her personal thanks and praise to God for exalting her. You know, just a humble middle schooler from Franklinton, right? God has chosen her and she's giving thanks. God is doing something very personal for Mary here. Not just because she's a small town girl, but because she's a sinner who needs a Savior. Mary says she will be saved by His work on her behalf as well. God, her Savior, has come to redeem her from her sin but her joy is bigger than just her. In the next verse, she says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And we are in the line of those generations, okay? Where God's mercy comes to us through Mary's son, those who fear him, his mercy will come. But those who disregard him Something else waits them. And that's what she sings about next. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. Repeatedly, Mary states, God will help the humble. And just as repeatedly, she declares that he will take down those who are proud in their hearts. Which best describes you, the humble or the proud? The humble that God promises to lift up or the proud he promises to scatter? The hungry that he satisfies with good things or the rich he sends away empty? Which most marks you, submission like Mary I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Or are you more likely to say to God, Lord, I need you to take care of this for me. May you do as I have prayed. Do you have a sense of honor to be chosen by God? Or do you think sometimes that God's pretty lucky to have someone as talented as you on his team? God is inviting us to be humble before him like Mary, like Elizabeth. When we are humble before Him, we acknowledge our great need for Him. We say with Mary, I need a Savior. We need someone to satisfy us and show us mercy and lift us up. And Christmas is the best time of the year to receive God's mercy for your sins to place your faith in the Savior, King Jesus, to trust Him as the bearer of your sins, to believe that He bore your penalty on the cross so you would not have to bear it yourself. And to acknowledge that we are not worthy of this grace that we have received. But like Mary, we are mere servants, and we submit willingly to do whatever He has for us. And Mary's song ends this way. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home about the time John the Baptist would be born. God has brought to his people the help they need in keeping his promise that he made centuries before to Abraham. This is another example of God keeping his word. The coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of an ancient promise. Do you believe that it's true? Do you believe that it's your only hope? Do you believe that it's the only hope for your neighbors? Elizabeth and Mary challenge us to be humble in response to this promise. To have a humble faith, a faith that obeys, that's honored to be chosen, that needs a Savior and rejoices that He has come. And today as we come to the communion table, we want to remember That everything that everyone has been singing about, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, what they've been predicting, was fulfilled on the cross. Where God became a man, lived a sinless life, and then died on the cross for our sins that we might be restored to God. His mercy was made full for us on the cross and in His resurrection on the third day. So today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're walking in fellowship with Him, you are willing to repent of your sins, then the table is open for you today to celebrate that Christ was born so that He could die for your sins. And then be raised on the third day to bring to you newness of life, a new life of humble obedience to your King. Would you bow with me as we approach the table? Jesus, we bow before you and we acknowledge that you were born so that you could die for us. Lord, help us not to disconnect those things. And so on, on, in the season when we celebrate your birth, we want to remember your death. In the manner that you gave to us in your kind command to remember you. And so together as your people, we remember that on the night on which you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, you took the cup and said, this is the new covenant that's in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this also in remembrance of me.